Thank you, Jenny Beth. The House will return Tuesday and stay through Thursday. The Senate returns Monday and they'll also stay through Thursday. Two weeks ago on the House floor, the House came back to work on Monday, January 29. They passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, January 30th, the House passed H.R. 695, the Child Protection Improvements Act of 2017, by a vote of 250 to 166, except that it wasn't really the Child Protection Improvements Act of 2017. It had been amended to be the FY 2018 Department of Defense Appropriations Act. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 4292, the Financial Institution Living Will Act, under suspension of the rules. Later that evening, the House hosted President Trump for his State of the Union address, and then the House left for the week as Republicans went off for their annual retreat. The House returned to work on Monday, February 5. That evening, the House took up and passed H.R. 4547, the Strengthening Protections for Social Security Beneficiaries Act of 2018, under suspension of the rules. On the morning of Tuesday, February 6, House Democrats attempted to move a resolution condemning Republican Congressman Paul Gozar of Arizona for having tweeted in anticipation of the State of the Union address that Capitol Police should be prepared to arrest and hand over for deportation any illegal immigrants who attended the speech as guests of members of Congress. The motion was tabled by a vote of 231 to 187. Then the House passed a rule to guide deliberations over several pieces of legislation, and then the House took up and passed H.R. 772, the Common Sense Nutrition Disclosure Act of 2017. Later on Tuesday, the House passed H.R. 1892, the continuing resolution, except that this time the conservatives got what they wanted, a full year's funding for the Department of Defense and another continuing resolution for the rest of the government. House leaders did not expect the Senate would accept the language, but they wanted to get something passed and moving. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules, H.R. 3851, the War Crimes Rewards Expansion Act, and H.R. 1997, the Ukraine Cybersecurity Cooperation Act of 2017. But the real action on the House floor last Wednesday wasn't the two bills. It was the extraordinary sight of seeing the House Minority Leader hold the floor for eight hours in an attempt to shame House Speaker Ryan into promising to give the Democrats a floor vote on a DACA fix. On Thursday, the House passed two more bills, H.R. 1153, the Mortgage Choice Act of 2017, and H.R. 4771, the Small Bank Holding Company Relief Act of 2018. Then, finally, at 5.32 a.m. on Friday, February 9, the House took up and passed H.R. 1892, which had started out in the House earlier in the week as a simple continuing resolution and instead had morphed in the Senate into the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, which we'll discuss more in a few moments. The bill passed by a vote of 240 to 186. Republicans voted in favor of the bill by 167 to 67. Democrats largely voted against it by a margin of 119 to 73, and then they were done. This week on the House floor, the House will return Tuesday. The first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House will attempt to take up nine bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House will consider two bills, H.R. 3978, the TRID Improvement Act of 2017, which modifies requirements related to mortgage disclosures, and H.R. 3299, the Protecting Consumers Access to Credit Act of 2017. On Thursday, the House will consider H.R. 620, the ADA Education and Reform Act of 2017. The last vote will take place no later than 3 p.m. 
Two weeks ago on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work on Monday, January 29, and immediately moved to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to consideration of S-2311, a bill to protect pain-capable unborn children. The motion to invoke cloture failed by a vote of 51 to 46. Then the Senate moved to invoke cloture on the nomination of David Ryan Strauss to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Eighth Circuit. The motion to invoke cloture passed. The following day, Tuesday, January 30, the Senate voted by 56 to 42 to confirm David Ryan Strauss to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Eighth Circuit. Then the Senate left town for the week. The Senate returned to work on Monday, February 5, and voted by 94 to nothing to confirm Andre Iansu to be Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The Senate spent most of last week in wheel-spinning mode as Republican Leader Mitch McConnell and Democrat Leader Chuck Schumer wooed each other and threw money at each other in an attempt to remove themselves from the binds known as the sequester, a product of the 2011 Budget Control Act. On Thursday, the Senate rejected, by 55 to 44, a motion to invoke cloture on H.R. 695, the FY 2018 Department of Defense Appropriations Act. Thursday evening in the Senate was spent on more wheel spinning, as Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky refused to agree to a unanimous consent request to allow a vote on the budget deal before 1 a.m. That meant that technically the government would be in shutdown mode because the deadline for enacting a new CR was midnight Thursday night. Paul wanted a vote on an amendment to require the government to maintain the spending cap set in the 2011 Budget Control Act. The Senate Republican leadership refused to give him that vote, arguing that if they succumbed to his pressure and gave him a vote on an amendment, they would have to give everyone a vote on an amendment. So they countered, and they offered him instead the right to raise a budget point of order, which would have led to a vote that would have put every senator on record as to whether or not they wanted to abide by the 2011 spending caps. But for whatever reason, and I honestly don't know what would be the operational difference between the two votes, Senator Paul refused that offer and made the Senate wait until all debate time had expired before they could vote on the motion to invoke cloture on the budget agreement and then vote for the budget agreement itself. So... At 12.59 a.m. on Friday morning, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on H.R. 1892, the continuing resolution. The vote was 73 to 26. Then, half an hour later, the Senate voted to pass H.R. 1892, the Bipartisan Budget Act. The vote was 71 to 28. They sent the bill to the House in hopes the House would pass it before daylight so the government could open on schedule Friday morning. And then they went home. This week on the Senate floor, as per a previous agreement, the Senate will return to work tomorrow and will begin consideration of H.R. 2579, the vehicle for immigration reform legislation. At 5.30 p.m. Monday, the first vote of the week will be held on a motion to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed. Majority Leader McConnell promised Minority Leader Schumer and others in the Senate that if the Senate had not come to an agreement over a fix for DACA by February 8th, he would allow floor discussion of an immigration bill as long as the government was still open. The government is still open, and the Senate has not yet come to an agreement over a DACA fix. So tomorrow, the Senate will begin a rather rare event, discussion over a shell bill where the majority leader has not predetermined his desired outcome. As Leader McConnell put it last week, quote, in the Senate, on those rare occasions when we have these open debates, whoever gets to 60 wins, end quote. On the FBI front, 
On Monday, January 29, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe unexpectedly was removed from his position at the FBI just a few months before he would have reached his 20-year retirement with full benefits. He'll be allowed to finish out his 28 his 20 years, but he's no longer the number two man at the FBI. The Monday removal was said to come after FBI Director Christopher Wray in anticipation of the release of a critical report by the Department of Justice Inspector General had considered moving McCabe to a different job. That would have been seen as a demotion, so McCabe left. On the immigration front, as mentioned above, the Senate is going to begin debate this week on an immigration reform measure. The White House wanted its four-pillar proposal to be the base proposal that would be debated, but Leader McConnell opted instead to put an unrelated but previously House-passed bill on the floor as the vehicle for the discussion. In anticipation of the debate, the White House has begun floating what it considers a possible compromise, a promise to maintain legal immigration at current levels, about 1.1 million immigrants per year for more than a decade. That represents a weakening of the White House position, which already contained in its original iteration an offer of an amnesty and a path not just to legal status, but to full citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants. According to the Los Angeles Times, quote, a White House official said Saturday that the Trump administration is working with allies in the Senate on a proposal that would create a path to citizenship for an estimated 1.8 million people who were brought to the country illegally as children, and that would clear the backlog of nearly 4 million sponsored relatives who are currently waiting for green cards. The combined effect, officials said, would effectively make up for the cuts in other immigration categories for about 13 years, end quote. So, White House officials are working with allied senators to see if they can come up with an amendment that would encapsulate all of President Trump's wishes on immigration reform. Just within the last hour, I can tell you the Washington, it's either the Washington Examiner or the Washington Times has reported that Senator Grassley, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Senator Cornyn, the the majority whip, the number two Republican leader, uh, are leading the effort and will introduce tomorrow an amendment that encapsulates the White House proposal. Meanwhile, Leader McConnell may kick off the debate by allowing the introduction of a narrow amendment that merely extends the DACA program by three years to see how many votes that amendment could win. And at some point, I expect that Senator Lindsey Graham will offer an amendment that encapsulates the DREAM Act in its entirety. This looks an awful lot like 2013, when the Senate passed the Gang of Eight amnesty bill, sent it to the House, and then watched for a year and a half as the House Republican leadership refused to bring it to the floor for a vote. This time, Speaker Ryan has promised he will only put a bill on the House floor if it's already been blessed by President Trump. So we've got our work cut out for us. Now to the Nunez memo. When last we spoke, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence was about to vote to release the four-page memo drafted by the staff of Committee Chairman Devin Nunez. On Monday, January 29, the committee did just that, voting to publicly release the document. Five days later, the president authorized its release, and by the afternoon of Friday, February 2nd, the memo was out. You'll find a link to the Nunez memo in the suggested reading this week, just in case you haven't had a chance to actually read the document itself. The memo essentially says that in applying to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in October 2016 for a warrant to surveil a U.S. citizen suspected of acting as an agent of a foreign power, to wit, Carter Page, an energy consultant who volunteered for the Trump campaign, 
the FBI and the Department of Justice based the application largely on the so-called Steele dossier, which they knew to have been paid for by the Clinton for President campaign and the Democratic National Committee. The memo declares that the application for the surveillance warrant failed to make clear to the court that the dossier had been paid for by the opposition campaign and the opposition political party to the campaign for which surveillance was being sought. Moreover, the memo states that the FISA application also extensively cited a September 23, 2016 Yahoo News article by investigative reporter Michael Isakoff as corroboration for the Steele dossier, despite the fact that Steele was Isakoff's source for the article. The memo goes on to say that Steele's personal animus toward candidate Trump was also hidden from the court. FBI official Bruce Orr, whose wife worked with Fusion GPS, the opposition research firm that hired Steele to put together his dossier, noted after an interview with Steele that Steele, quote, was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being president, end quote. But the court was not told of this bias. The memo also declares that, quote, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe testified before the committee in December 2017 that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court without the Steele dossier information. Democrats in the media predictably went nuts. House Intelligence Committee Ranking Democrat Adam Schiff of California immediately penned his own 10-page response, and House Intelligence Committee voted unanimously to release it upon approval from the president. But Schiff apparently deliberately wrote his response memo in such a way that releasing it would have revealed intelligent sources and methods. So he put the president in a box, release the memo in its entirety and reveal sources and methods, or refuse to release the memo to protect sources and methods and allow Schiff and other Democrats to claim that the president was hiding something. In the event, the president opted for the latter. The White House announced it would not authorize release of the Schiff response memo unless it was cleaned up and offered to work with the committee to that end. Meanwhile, Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Lindsey Graham released a public version of a letter they sent to the DOJ in January that goes even further than the Nunez memo does in making the case that the FISA warrant application on Carter Page was sought without proper evidence, where the Nunez memo said the Steele dossier, quote, formed an essential part of the Carter Page FISA application, unquote. The Grassley-Graham letter asserts that the Steele dossier formed the, quote, bulk of the FISA application, and perhaps more importantly, declares that the application, quote, appears to contain no additional information corroborating the dossier allegations against Mr. Page, end quote, and that the FBI, quote, relied more heavily on Steele's credibility than on any independent verification or corroboration for his claims, end quote. Appearing today on Fox News, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunez said he wants to see the Schiff memo released. Quote, we actually want the Democratic memo out. We think it's ridiculous on the face of it, he said. Stay tuned. Now to the spending front. Last week started out well enough. On Tuesday, with two days to go before the February 8th deadline, the House Republican leadership decided to act like a bunch of Republicans who had a plan based on their confidence in their own house. They would pass a bill through the House and send it to the Senate without knowing in advance that the Senate would accept the bill. As odd as it sounds to say this, that in itself was a rather remarkable feat. 
So the bill that passed the House Tuesday with 228 Republican votes was a strong bill. Rather than continue with the on-again, off-again, can't-really-let the kind of long-term defense contracts we need to let, continuing resolution, the kind of thing that has been driving defense hawks crazy for the last several years, this bill provided full funding for the rest of the fiscal year for the Department of Defense and then funded the rest of the government through March 23rd on a continuing appropriation level. It also included funding for community health centers and four more years funding for the Children's Health Insurance Program in a rather silly attempt to win some Democratic votes. Meanwhile, Senators McConnell and Schumer had been hard at work swimming in the cesspool. Republicans wanted to increase spending by $80 billion this year over the levels set by the 2011 Budget Control Act, and they wanted to increase next year's spending by $85 billion over the sequester levels. Schumer said he'd only allow that much money to be spent on defense if the Democrats would also be allowed to stick their snout in the trough. He demanded $63 billion above the sequester spending level for domestic discretionary spending for this fiscal year, and then wanted to up that by another $5 billion next year to a $68 billion increase above the sequester spending level. But wait, they still weren't done. They also needed to authorize a ton of money for disaster relief because apparently the $81 billion in disaster relief funding the House authorized a few months ago wasn't enough. By the time the dust settled, the two leaders, and apparently Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi, had agreed to a two-year budget deal that absolutely blew up the sequester spending levels. I've included a chart in this week's Washington Report that shows the breakdown and compares the new spending levels for FY 2018 and FY 2019 to what they were supposed to be under the sequester levels, and it's truly mind-boggling. So as you look at that chart, let's walk through it. Under the BCA spending levels, we were going to spend $549 billion on defense in FY 2018. According to the levels in the bipartisan budget act that just passed, we're going to spend $700 billion. That's a $151 billion increase. But wait, you say. Bill, you say you said they agreed to increase defense spending by $80 billion in FY 2018, not $151 billion. Where'd that other $71 billion come from? To which I reply, ah, crap, I forgot to mention the $71 billion in overseas contingency operations fund spending. That's what the Pentagon calls it when they're in a war and they need emergency money. The advantage of labeling it emergency spending is that they're not required to even go through the motions of pretending to offset that spending. It just goes right onto the national credit card, and it's not subject to the BCA sequester. So, not surprisingly, they're planning to do exactly the same thing in FY 2019. Rather than hold themselves to the $562 billion defense spending level set in the 2011 Budget Control Act, They'll plus up defense spending to a total of $716 billion. That's a $154 billion increase, again, with the help of $69 billion in so-called emergency overseas contingency operations fund spending. That's an increase in planned defense spending of more than $300 billion over two years. And what did Republicans agree to swallow in order to get the Democrat votes needed to bump up military spending? They had to swallow a ton of new domestic spending. So current law non-defense discretionary spending cap, that is the level set by the 2011 Budget Control Act, is $516 billion for FY 2018 and $529 billion for FY 2019. Those numbers are now gone, replaced by 
$591 billion for FY 2018 and $605 billion for FY 2019. That's a $151 billion increase over the planned spending levels over two years. Oh, and one other thing. The debt ceiling is suspended until March of 2019, which conveniently happens to be long after the 2018 elections. And please note, we've talked about this before, they have suspended the debt limit rather than raised the debt limit. At least raising the debt limit is done by a certain dollar amount, and that maintains some small level of accountability and transparency, both of which act marginally as breaks on spending. When they simply suspend the debt ceiling until a date certain, that gives the government the authority to borrow as much as it wants and needs right up to that date certain. That's a foot on the gas pedal. Now, I guess some Republicans are walking around Capitol Hill pretty proud of themselves this weekend. After all, they were determined to get more money for defense, and they got it. And it only cost them 50 cents on the dollar. That is, they got $305 billion in defense spending costs uh, hikes at a cost of just $151 billion in non-defense domestic discretionary spending. And more importantly, they're telling themselves they did so with spine. They refused to cave to the Democrats' demands in both House and Senate that the government would only be funded when DACA had been preserved. First Schumer and then Pelosi allowed Democrats to vote for funding deals without getting anything other than a promise of a floor vote, a promise made by McConnell to Schumer, or Bupkus, the non-promise made by Ryan to Pelosi despite her eight-hour House filibuster. But the Republicans who voted for this bill just crapped all over themselves. They've grown the size of government beyond even what Barack Obama hadn't dared fantasize in his wildest dreams. And they've put the lie to any claim to fiscal responsibility. And that's our Washington Report for this week.